I guess the the epitome of a leader would is being vulnerable, right? You know, being vulnerable yourself. So when that first ball got passed round and the vulnerability started, and if you think about what vulnerability is, it's it's doing uh, what you know, whether it's right or wrong, but when you're doing something, uh, an action, and you don't know the outcome, that's like asking someone out on a date, going for a job interview, starting a business, vulnerability, right? Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hi, and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. If you've read Just Ask, which, by the way, uh, just a few days ago was published in Chinese in Taiwan, which I'm absolutely delighted about. But if you've read Just Ask, you may well be familiar with my two guests today. They are two guests that I wanted to bring onto the podcast for quite some time to discuss what could potentially be a very controversial topic. And in fact, our conversation becomes quite free ranging. uh, And as you probably uh, or may already have seen from the duration, a bit longer uh, and detailed than many of our podcasts. It's a conversation that went in areas I wasn't expecting, but I just let flow because I thought it was thought provoking uh, and very interesting. It may not always be comfortable to listen to, Um, But I hope that you recognise that both these guys come uh, from a very authentic uh, and very generous and giving mindset. Uh, And it's a conversation we needed to have. Uh, So my first guest is Luke Ambler. Uh, Luke is a former Rugby Super League uh, regular for the World Champions uh, and also a Fall Island International who quit his career early after his brother-in-law Andy uh, took his own life Uh, and uh, Luke who'd had his own struggles with mental health um, wanted to focus his time on really engaging with supporting men who weren't opening up and weren't being weren't being vulnerable, and that's what we explored in, in our conversations for Just Ask. Um, the success of Luke's Andy's Man Club, uh, a network of support groups specifically for men to open up and feel vulnerable in a safe space around the UK, uh, has been very powerful. And my second guest is Dion Jensen, a former New Zealand infantryman, a former police officer, a close protection officer and a veteran of the Bosnian War. Uh, Dion is now a mental health champion and author, uh, and he runs programs in his native New Zealand for troubled youth and women who have been subjected to rape and domestic violence. He's also the founder of Protecting Women Global. So they're two very inspiring men with uh, uh, what you would term a very alpha background, alpha male background, um, very macho environments, rugby league and and the army and the police force uh, and so forth, but who have then really turned that alpha background onto, onto its head in terms of the work they've done since in terms of supporting vulnerable vulnerable populations and promoting mental health. I should let you know if you are easily offended uh, by language that um, some people don't like, that there is a lot of swearing in this episode, but I don't feel it detracts from the conversation and the core message so that I hope you can be comfortable with that. I brought them together because we, we live in, 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 in very changing times and very changing cultures. Uh, the Me Too movement has, over the last few years, uh, created a 
a really strong focus on the power struggle and the relationships between men and women. And there's been a backlash to that as well. We're starting to hear men too uh, as an alternative hashtag. Um, and, 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 and that's led to an increased focus on men's mental health as well, which is something that we talk about uh, in Just Ask. And, and when you're a leader looking at the relationships in your organisation, one of the things you've got to get on top of is this new world and this new power play uh, and the relationship between men and women. So I wanted to explore the role of men in the modern workplace. Uh, I wanted to explore uh, the relationship between men and women outside and inside the workplace uh, and whether there is such a thing as toxic uh, masculinity as well. What's the role for alpha males in, in today's society? Every year on International Women's Day, we hear a cry across social media, why isn't there uh, an International Men's Day, even though there is, which is <laughs> the response you often get. Uh, and a couple of months ago, I was watching Prime Minister's Questions uh, in, in the, the UK Houses of Parliament and an MP asked um, the Prime Minister uh, about the establishment of a minister for men. Uh, so all of this would have appeared ludicrous to observers uh, not so long ago, but those times are changing. Men are becoming a bigger part of the agenda. Um, so I want to start off uh, by welcoming my guests and uh, start, I'm going to ask Luke, is it about time we made this change and brought men into the conversation and changed our perception of men? Uh, and why is that so important? So, Luke, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I, I couldn't agree more, really, in terms of feel like the, the role of a man um, is, is confused. Now, you know, we, we've always been known to be providers and protectors, even if you go back to hunter-gatherer days when we'd go out hunting meat and... I feel like why why things like Andy's Man Club um, work. When I look back at um, a lot of studies done on tribes and and hunter gatherer times, is, is men would sit around at the end of the day after a hunt and they'd sit and they'd talk and whether that be deep emotional um, connection uh, type conversations, I probably doubt it. But they would have that space for men. There'd be gentlemen's style clubs. Um, obviously, you know, even back to probably my nana's, you know, mum's times. Women, you know, wouldn't have worked in recent times. You know, it'd have been a, a role where, you know, housewives and and that role's changed. And it women are becoming the providers uh, as well as men. So men are finding that um, difficult. Um, I know at his man club we have two thousand men a week who use our groups now um, from a variety of different backgrounds. But I do feel, and even though we don't often get to that deep level of finding the, you know, the the cause of which is we are lost a little bit, aren't we? You know, as men, we are coming to that point where we are lost. As you said, uh, alpha males, strong males, um, it's sort of frowned upon now, which is, you know, at one point it would have been good to have a strong uh, alpha male in your in your hunter-gatherer pack to, to go out and lead that team or, you know, whatever that may be. And now it's like sort of pushed down on us, isn't it? That it shouldn't be that. You shouldn't be, you know, confidence is now seen as arrogance these days. And, you know, we always try to see we'll just beat people down when they do do something good. Or So I, I feel that it's, it's definitely getting lost. Um, I feel like we always need a minister for summer, especially in the UK, where, where <laughs> there's a lot more simple solutions than just having a minister for this, just someone to get a little bit more money just to say that they're supporting men. But like you said, there is International Women's Day, which I'm all for as well. I think, you know, the, the equality side of it. But equality don't mean that one side should be uh, banished for uh, years in history and then succeed the other. It should be the qualities that both are seen as 
as equal, right? So I feel like we've, we've still got some work to do on, on that. Uh, Before I bring Dion in, Luke, there's a couple of things I want to pick on, uh, pick up in terms of uh, what you said there and also the background to Andy's Man Club. Um, So so first of all, can you, I I touched on why you formed Andy's Man Club and, and, you know, you finished a a very successful rugby league career um, at a young age, a relatively young age. You were still a full international for Ireland, I believe, when when you retired. Um, I, I touched on the reasons why, but... What led you down that path and how did you come across this idea of forming groups purely for men to share with each other? Um, without taking a full podcast, I've always had my own struggles yeah. in life. Um, I'm on with severe mental illness. So I grew up um, not only seeing that side of it from a female's perspective and like a carer's perspective in essence, but also my own struggles. So, you know, I played for the Leeds Rhinos here in the UK who were, who were the world champions at the time and I got I got let go and my own mindset wasn't at a place where I'd ever dealt with my own insecurities. You know, the mask that I'd wore as a kid, protecting myself, I'd still tried wearing that. A lot of the coping mechanisms that weren't very positive, I still had them embedded in me. So when it came to that fight or flight mode, I'd gone back to that flight mode and it were comfort eating and drinking and all them stuff that, you know, isn't very positive for us. And then I found myself in an altercation one night and, and I got myself in some real bother. Um, at my rock bottom at that point, Missus had left, my rubber career looked like it were over, everything was just falling apart. And as I sat in that police cell that night, I realised that you want different uh, answers in life, you've got to ask different questions and, and that's where it came. So when, when Andy died, I'd already built myself into this real positive habits, positive mindset around overcoming adversity so when life does smack you in the face you've got to get your ass back up haven't you that's you know that's what people are inspired by so when Andy Andy died I've probably never seen tragedy quite like it and I've had a lot of setbacks personally and family deaths but I think it's just the nature of it and I always remember having to tell my six-year-old son that his favorite person in the world had died and the screech in which he let out absolutely crippled me as a bloat as a dad because as I said before I still believe that we are providers protectors and I couldn't protect my little boy um and then I had this idea, well, Andy were at my house that weekend before. He didn't talk about that. In fact, he had a bit of a, a laugh about it. And I think often we, we correlate suicide and mental love like they're definitely connected. And a, a lot of the time it's not. Um, you know, suicide, um, it's, it's a very impulsive decision for a lot of people. It can be just like, right, life's too much. And if you think about what suicide is, it, it's real. It's, it's when we lose hope in it. So that's what suicide is. Suicide is just a means to the end. But actually when we lose hope, and what is hope? Hope is that... Tomorrow can be better than today. And I guess at that point, Andy realised that his tomorrow, maybe seeing his daughter or, you know, whatever we're going on in his head at that moment, we don't know. And I, and I can't even, don't want to make up what could have been. We spent a long time doing that. Um, so when he killed himself, I realised actually, if Andy would have had one conversation, me and his mum said, if he just had one conversation, someone could have helped give him a bit of hope, saying, it's going to be okay, we've got you back. He'd probably still be here. So came up with this idea that, you know, if me as a rugby player at the time could just, open up a room, I had a business at the time, um, and I had a, had, a, had a space, so I just thought, let's just see, and nine men turned up, and then they were like, wow, everyone was saying men don't talk, and then week after 15 men turned up, and as I say, now we, we've just come to six years old, and you know we've just under 2,000 men every week that, that turn up now talking all over the UK, so men do talk, but I think it's when they're given the right platform to do so, um, when they feel like they're not going to be judged, they don't have to feel embarrassed there, they're not burdening on in that room, they don't have to feel like they're weak, so that's why Andy's Man Club was started because it were it were a f- the real reason was is we didn't want another family to go through what we went through. 
So how do you stop the family yeah. going through it? You stop the guy killing himself. How do you stop the guy killing himself by giving him a platform to talk? It's it's interesting that, that you you share that and you talk about men do talk. You've just got to give them a platform to do so because it's a common thread we see. I read a, a story in the paper this week about someone had taken their own life and uh, a young person, uh, and people were saying no one knew they didn't talk. It, it was uh, one of the reasons I wrote just ask and I share the story in there about my my old colleague. Richard, um, whose wife didn't know the extent of his troubles and, you know, my good friends who he worked with um, had seen him two weeks before and didn't have a clue. So, you know, that experience is all too common. Um, and, and I think it's one of these, one of the reasons behind the book, it's one of the reasons behind this podcast, um, because we do have to look at the nature of, of masculinity and the nature of the environment we create for people. Um, it Interestingly, I, I, from from the outside, and you can confirm whether this is accurate or not. Uh, and his man club is all, almost the reverse Im- mirror image of what we see as the traditional um, sports locker room in American parlance or changing room, and particularly in a sport like rugby league, uh, which has that real alpha male uh, culture and, and image about it, um, where you've got. Uh, in both environments you've got groups of men but in one of them uh the 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 sporting changing room everyone is putting wearing a mask to a degree and maxing up the machismo uh or the machismo and and really um trying to outcompete each other whereas andy and his man club offers the the mirror image of that um in the sense of everyone opening up everyone being themselves everyone being vulnerable would that be a, a fair uh, illustration of it um I, th- I think it'd be um a good wide sweeping view i feel yeah. like when you get to like micro levels of teams and, and dion will probably know this from either being in the marines versus the police for example so when i were say at lead rhinos and I, and I just had a little flick through Rob Burrow's book last night and then a bit page had come across mm-hmm. where Jamie Jones Buchanan says about how tight that team was. How no one knew, you know, uh, most of the team, even though they were so tight, had not really been to each other's house. They'd not, um, never knew what each other were on money-wise because none of that mattered because it was a team-first mentality, like they had each other's back. And I feel like in an environment, even when I were at Leeds, no matter what you had going on, that team had your back. Like, and even if you might know what to go in there and you probably could have in that environment, I've said what was going on. The team was that tight and it was always a team mentality first that that team was so strong that it was genuinely like family. Obviously, and I was only a young lad at that time and, and you can see now with what's happened at Rob Burroughs, the, the support that all the team have had behind him and being there with him. Take that to say like a Halifax at the time when I were there where it was part-time, it was very egotistical because it were a lot of lads who'd drop down from Super League and maybe some still try to make it. You never dared show any vulnerability in an environment like that because... That's dog eat dog. Everyone wants a place, you know. Everyone wants a piece of the, uh, the action, and um, I feel like the, it's very different in in the environment you're in. I feel like good cultures, like say Leeds, where it's always a team first, and I feel like that's what Andy's Mantle builds. Whether it's within that singular group in Halifax, Bradford, Leeds, wherever, or whether it's the facilitator team, the, the staffing team, it's all about that man first. And I feel like if you always got that, never leave a man behind type mentality. I feel like the culture itself te- takes care of that and it gets rid of that bullshit masculinity. We've always had that, like, it doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, we've got some big stuff going on with, like, Ricky Atten right now and other people like that. And it doesn't matter who you are, when you walk in on his man club, you're not there as anything other than a title. You know, there's no title. We always get asked, so-and-so could come to a talk at your group. People don't do talks at group. You come along, you sit in circle, no matter who you are, what you've 
done. You just take your mask off and, and you're Dave, you're Andy, you're Dion, you're Luke. That's it. So it doesn't matter what, what level in society you think you're at, everyone's equal when they come to Andy's Man Club. Just, just for anyone who's not aware, who's listening, um, Rob Burrow um, was a, a professional rugby league player, retired uh, a couple of years ago, I think, or even last year because of motor neurone disease. Um, and very, very moving story and the support that he's had in the game and beyond rugby league. I'm not a rugby league follower, but very aware of his story because the support he's had has been amazing. And I'm wondering how much that culture has shifted over over the years uh, and how the changing rooms of 2022 differ from the changing rooms of even 2010, let alone 1980 and 90, which would have been a very different environment, I'm sure. Uh, you, you mentioned that Dion would recognise this as well, and I think it's only fair to bring Dion into the conversation at this point. Uh, and and, and y- your backgrounds are very similar. Um, th- there's elements of what you shared Luke that I didn't know from our conversations about Just Ask um, but I know from my conversations with Dion that, that they would have resonated with him because I think your background and your journey uh, are very similar so so Dion give us a little bit of a, a flavour of, of the journey you went on which as I say is very similar to Luke's and and, and what led you from being this uh, again alpha male marine close protection officer um, fighting in wars and, and, and a bit of a, a scrapper in, in, in pubs and so forth uh, into someone who really stands up against all of that in, in many ways First and foremost Luke just massive love and condolences for the loss of your bro mate that's phew. Mate, that's that, that's tough stuff. Right? That's massively tough stuff. And and even though you created that space in his honour, someone still has to lead it. So I just want to lift you and your family up, mate. That is just flipping. That's that's a champion mindset right there, mate. To to honour your brother and, and live for him. And it's when we start talking about the suicide stuff shortly. Um, and I've been there myself. It's math. It's is it easier to go to sleep and not wake up, or do I want to get up and deal with the shit again? And sometimes it's as simple as math. Sometimes we don't talk about it because we don't want to burden our family. You've hit all the key points. We don't want to burden our family. Sometimes there's shame and embarrassment attached. Sometimes it's actually, I'm, I'm that much financial debt, I need to find a way to get killed so the life insurance takes care of that. So you can be very, very clear and very, very intentional when it comes to suicide or it can be a heat of the moment thing. And the thousands of people I've dealt with, and, and I take suicidal phone calls pretty much every week um, with some way, shape or form, man, woman, all around the world. And there's only four mindsets that people are in when they when they talk. There's only four mindsets you can be in. And we work everything to a strategy before I get into my story. And it, and it starts like, we call it the shit storm, right? Rock bottom, bro. You know, it's, I'm either not going to wake up tomorrow or I am. And from there, it's that's it's crisis response. That's calling triple zero, triple one, whatever, is that, is that crisis response to safety. Because you're in crisis mode, you're in survival mode, and you'll wear whatever mask or armor you need to survive. And that's not your true form. That's that's survival state. And then the next stage is awareness. And we talk about all the stuff, right? And and I don't do awareness anymore unless it's plugged into a solution. Once you do the awareness stuff, once we're aware of this and we're talking with each other and all the rest of it, then we must immediately plug into coping mechanisms. So crisis, then we're into awareness, straight into coping mechanisms. Otherwise, it's a zoo tour. Hey, look at all these people that are can't sort this shit out and they're all struggling. Let's just talk about how shit it is. doesn't help anybody. But if we're having these men's circles, these men's groups, we're going back in the cave, sitting around the campfire, saying, that was pretty fucking scary out there today, mate. That saber tooth almost took my head off and I shat my pants. And I can't tell anyone else that because, you know, they'll think I'm, 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 I'm weak. We need that campfire talk. And then someone needs to go, hey, bro, I've been through that as well. And 
you know, breathing really helped me. So let's look at breathing. Um, let, let's let's get in the gym and, 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 and hit stuff to get this energy out. Someone else might need a cuddle. So we've got to go from that crisis to awareness to coping. And then that's where you're now on a point where you can make a decision where you can plug into a solution. And so everything that we do is about solutions. We have all the programs. We've got the World's First Good News book about PTSD. I wrote the VIP of Mental Health because it's about value. And that's the lens I'm going to use for this toxic masculinity, uh, masculinity stuff. But when we talk about, you know, our world, you know, man, I was a runt of the little bullied kid going to the top of the mountain, running around, you know, Iraq for three years and, and being top of the food chain. And so, yeah, we have alpha males and then we have omegas. So we have alpha and omegas, which is which is different. So alphas are, when you go through your alpha state in the wolf pack that Luke knows, no, you, you're, you're hard grafting, mate. You're, you're, you're a thruster, right? You're pushing and you're, you're going up with guys and, and, and bumping up against guys and trying to get to the top. And it does get perceived as arrogance, all right? But we're competitive, you know, deal with it. Don't like it, go somewhere else, mate. This is our world. And so when we're in that environment, so if you're playing league and sports and army and all the rest of it, that's the environment. And that's the state you need to be in to succeed in that environment. Taking that mindset to the pub or back home, no. <laughs> because how we are suits a particular environment. We're trained for an environment. Now, we either come through crap and we, we learn these survival skills to survive in these situations. Then we go into another environment. We learn all these different skills to survive in the environment. So what I'm seeing is men have basically been pulled out of their environment and everyone else is trying to control how they should act in all these other environments where what we should be doing is clearly defining and controlling our own environments and setting our rules. And that's actually what Luke has done with Andy's group. He's like, this is our environment. This is our culture. These are the rules. This is my village and I'm the chief. And you now control the environment. So this whole toxic masculinity thing and what men should do and all the rest of it is so easy to control us because we can't anchor to an environment. So in the military, it's masculine. Don't like it, you're going to get killed. So don't go there. Right? Pretty simple. You don't want to be in a room with guys swearing and carrying on and scratching their balls. Don't go in there. That's a gentleman's club. That's why it's called a gentleman's club. All right? Stay in your own environment. And so it's only in shared environments that we can honestly have this discussion that we're having tonight. And so... Our lanes are trauma, transition, evolution. Trauma is very simple to deal with because it's a process if you have a strategy and a solution. But the transition space, this is where everything's getting screwed up. It's about value. Where are you getting your value as a human being now? It's, and so I wrote the VIP of mental health, value, identity, and purpose. What is the value for your identity as a man at the moment? In a particular environment, the value for being an alpha man, a strong male in a particular environment, they're trying to pull the value down. But if you take that strong man, you put him in the right environment, his value is very high. So you're going to get all your value from who you are or what you do, identity or purpose. That's why sportsmen, soldiers, all the rest of it, if they're in an identity that has massive value, like you had, Luke, like back when you're at the top of your game, your identity is Luke Ambler, this dude. So my value is high for my purpose of playing this sport. So the VLP triangle is solid. Take you out of that environment. Now, who are you? Who are you now? And a lot of that transition space that you're going to have a lot of guys in your talking circle, used to be married, now I'm divorced. Used to be in this job, now I'm not. Used to, used to, used to, used to holding on to the past, not interested in the future because that sucks because I want the past. And so when you understand the solutions and the programs and, and now you've got that safe space, plugging those solutions is critical. But toxic masculinity can only rear its head in an environment where there is not an agreement on the culture or the rules. All right? So... For protectingwoman.global, um, rape, sexual assault, domestic violence is caused by men, 
right? It's men, weak men, hurting women. And a lot of those men, they enjoy that. And that's one thing when they talk about, there's just assholes out there, guys. They're just, they're going to be assholes no matter what environment they're in. And the only thing a weak man fears in that environment is a stronger man. So if Luke and I are having a couple of scrumpers down at the pub, and we see a guy grab a girl by the hair, we're going to go in there and deal with that guy. And if that guy sees us in another pub, he's not going to grab another girl's hair when he sees us. So the only thing a weak man fears is a stronger man. So where the toxic side comes out is where a man uses that masculine energy to dominate a woman. Right? That's where it comes. Because the definition of feminism is actually equality. It's not woman being in charge. It's it's equality. So my background coming from the runt of the litter, being the bullied kid, always having a mate that was strong at the high behind because <laughs> I had a big mouth. And then I went through a systems approach to training as a soldier. I became fit and strong. I learned how to control my emotions, primarily the, the emotional fear. Then I was trained to identify fear in others and make it come true in our environment because we're there to win. And it's not. And so when we say omegas, this, that's the end of days. We're switching people off. So it's not a competition or, or this is like, we'll kill you. Like there's, there's no fluffy talky stuff in the environment of war. There's, there's no feminist party. There's no equal rights stuff, man or woman, that can walk in that environment and not get a bullet in the head. And this is what we see now with Russia and Ukraine. You can say whatever you like. But the moment there's an environment where there's real life and death stuff going on, it comes down to predator and prey. And so if we look at it from the feminine side of myself, because we have both sides, right? War is the dumbest thing that we can do as a, as a species, right? The absolute dumbest thing that we can do. And it's not women starting these wars. It's men starting these wars. Baseline, ego guys <laughs> that, are, that manifest into that energy. But what we're seeing now is because all these environments are getting pulled apart, like Luke said, everyone's lost. They don't know what environment they can act in what. And whoever controls the environment controls the culture. And that's the biggest issue we have right now because we're having this discussion on social media. Who owns social media? Who controls that environment? Like I could argue against you and win. I could support you and win just by tapping into another group on social media. So People are letting the environment of social media and that social consciousness getting amplified through social media define who they are. So we don't do that. We start with the mirror. So rule number one with all the people I work with, men, women, or kids, rule number one is making peace with the mirror. If you can't make peace with the mirror, you can't make peace with anything else, and everything else will be a battle. And then when you when you make peace with the mirror, then you can take that to your family, your workplace, or your school, and then out there in the world. And then once you've got those four in harmony, nothing else can hurt you. If there's no enemy within, the enemy without can do you no harm. But there must be a solutions path. We can't just sit here and talk about stuff. We're like, we need to pick a point and go there. All go there together. And so creating the environment and agreeing on the rules is the first step. So if someone says, do we have a problem with toxic masculinity? I always say, which environment? Bring me into an organization. Oh, so the organization is the environment. What does this organization do? What do we all stand for? What are the rest of it? Okay, here's our, our rules and our culture we agree to. Very, very simple. You can't do that. That's bullying. You can't say that. That's racist. You can't say that. That's it. You control the environment. But the public space of social media is not the place to define this stuff. It's, okay, we'll look at this particular situation. How does it relate to my tribe as the chief? And I'll control my space. I own the Line Academy. That's my space. You got Andy's men's group. That's your space. You're the chief. You define all this stuff in that environment. So it's not about the individuals, the individual context, Andy. It's the environments. 
who controls the environment. So, I, I, I think that that distinction about the environment you're in is a really powerful one. We could spend a lot of time talking about social media. As soon as you start talking about who's controlling social media, my mind goes to a certain person linked with uh, uh, buying Twitter at the moment and their own toxic masculinity issues, <laughs> you could argue. Um, but, sorry to interrupt that one. Is it toxic masculinity or have we got insecure men? Well, doing? well, okay. Well, that, that, that I, I wonder how closely those two things are linked. Um, you know, yes, if you're in a in a war zone, that masculinity, that uh, that ability to fight, that ability to shout what you believe in that moment, to direct or order other people, is really important. Um, but is it important in other environments where it shows up? And is it insecurity? Um, and, and and what's driving it? What one of the when I, when I was sort of planning this this conversation and, and thinking about the sorts of things to cover, one of the things that um, resonated for me, struck me, was a lot of the discussion and debate in the UK that that occurred over the last couple of years after the murder of Sarah Everard. And I don't know, Dion, how aware in New Zealand you are of this, but Sarah Everard was uh, a woman who was walking at home at night, uh, who was uh, abducted from the street, driven away, assaulted and murdered by an off-duty police officer. And what came out of that was the culture in the Metropolitan Police was, uh, you know, clearly there were major issues with it uh, um, and ultimately it cost the, the commissioner her job. Um, and uh, along with a number of other things, uh, there were at the same time two um, young black sisters were also murdered. Um, and I forgive me if I'm mixing up the different cases. There were so many things going on at the time, but police officers were taking photos of the bodies and sharing them in a WhatsApp group. Um, there, there was a lot in, in both cases and with the, 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 the murder of Sarah Everard, there were WhatsApp exchanges between him and his colleagues in the force um, uh, that were would be dismissed as banter, but we would call in the terms of this conversation toxic. Um, so there's an example of a culture where you've got this toxic masculinity, which isn't needed. Uh, it's not necessary for doing the job. But what is it driven by and where does it come from? And, and, it, and I'm sure it's not just the police force. I'm sure you can go into many organisations and find groups of men who will um, operate with what they that they call banter to get away with it. And it's, it's how yeah, we and change that. I mean, that. That depends on culture. You look at sales. Then yeah. You look at the sales. Andy, this is your word. Look totally. at the sales team. Yeah. <laughs> you want to find yeah. a whole bunch of guys that are, are, are wired in that frequency, you look at your sales yeah. teams and your traders and your investors and stuff. There's there's a lot of that stuff going on. Uh, do you, know you know, do you know on that? It's really interesting, mm. I think, because I feel I feel like one problem with societies is we just put everyone in a box really quick. So what happened with the police issue is is that first it was that all met police officers are corrupt. Then it were actually they should be. If you remember, there were a big uh, Twitter support for men to have curfews at the time. Yeah. Men to have curfews. But here's what's interesting. So, you know, back to, you know, what Dion said about environment. So we don't want uh, police officers to be uh, masculine, if we're saying that. We we'll call it toxic masculinity. Um, when it comes to the very odd, rare case of an horrendous man doing an horrendous thing, right? Doesn't That doesn't mean all men. That doesn't mean all police officers. But when it comes to me being in London next week and five 
five lads attacked me to take my phone off with a knife and hiring police, I need those police to be masculine then to go and chase those guys up to save my life. So it's like everyone wants to bag the police or bag bag this until it's time that we need them. So, you know, as Dion's a great point, war from the feminine side is absolutely horrendous, isn't it? It's silly, like, why do we even need an army? But if Russia start attacking UK, no one then is, is anti-war or anti-army. It's, we need to protect ourselves again. Our tribe needs protecting. So I feel like, and this is probably like, I think, I think my awareness around trying to look at stuff really subjectively is, is before COVID, I obviously worked in 54 different prisons uh, with our country's most violent. And, and what Dion said is correct. There is assholes out there. But what I found is, is, is it the assholes fault a lot of time or is it their upbringing? And then when I say upbringing, I know we all have choices to make. Right, but if your idol is your dad, who dad always beat mom, and I'm not saying that it's correct at all, but the education needs to start about, you know, how, what are we doing in front of us kids? What are we allowing us kids to see? Because what happens is, is weak men create other weak men, don't they? Right. So you know, right. if you go back to one of these guys who has, you know, has been, you know, hitting his wife, raping, it's disgusting. I've worked with uh, numerous ra- ra- on the other side, rapists, murderers, and a lot of time when you get to the root of it. These people, you can't, I don't want to justify and call some of them normal people because, um, you know, it, it doesn't do justice to victims. But what I'm trying to say is, is that often it's that they've been subject to seeing this their whole life. You know, they've been raped themselves. They've been victims themselves. And it just ends up, all that happens is, is that the cycle don't break. It just passes on to someone else. Mm-hmm. And that pain that's there, that intense pain, just keeps passing. So it's one of those things that it's really hard to stop because it's so already engulfed and in, in, in the thick of it. But I always look at the parents straight away and go, where, where were dad at? And I, and I never forget being in a prison once and it's just a, a little bit of a sideline for you. And uh, well, we're in this little AMC type session in this prison. And it wasn't from Andy's man about there, but we're in and uh, this one lad said, uh, you know, my my uh, biggest regret is that my son didn't stay out of prison. I was really chuffed for, for him because he was on the right path. He was going to be a boxer. You know, he was doing this. He was doing that. He was really hyped up. He was really excited. He says, and, uh, and then on a night out, some lad started with him, got a little bit cheeky. So he's, he's put his boxing skills on him. He's dropped him and now he's in prison. I can't knock him for doing what he did to that lad. And I just yeah. said, and which one is it? You're either devastated that he's gone down that path and followed you or you're, you're chuffed that he's hit that lad because the, the choice should have been that dad did this and look where dad is continuously so actually is there going to be any benefit for me hitting this lad and winning winning whatever winning is in a fight and winning this ego battle that I hit someone and I out and dropped him is, is there any benefit to that really now you're sat in prison for it it's a, it's a really clever way to say that. Like I, I work in prisons and stuff as well, and, I, and we've got eleven-year-olds boosting cars and trying to stab people at the moment. And the parents just aren't there. Intergenerational trauma just continues, right? None of which is the victim's fault or victim's issue or the community issue, right? That's not an excuse to do it. So I love how you said yeah. that. So now we've moved from environment now to circumstance, right? And so we, we keep drilling down. So that that young lad that you talked about is in an environment now where it's positive. I'm going to be a boxer. I've got to stay out of this. So he's in the right environment. But now he's in a particular situation. Heat of the moment stuff with guys is heat of the moment stuff. And that uh, that assault, that fight would have lasted less than two minutes and he'll be inside for two years. You know, so the that whole balance Risk there of environment to, to circumstance not taken in. So what we do in the academy is when I'm dealing with youth offenders or adult offenders, we're reverse engineering every component of that. 
But now, because we have full control of ourselves, we can go deal with the mum with women's programs, we can deal with dad, if dad's not there, we can deal with the kid. So we can do all those little pieces because it is 100% learned behavior to a point where you have a conscious choice. Now, you can't make a better decision unless you have more than two options. So unless we're creating the solution strategy with more options and the training has to be in those scenarios. So we were doing our scenario, shoot, don't shoot stuff like you, man, how many ball drills have you run? It's just, it's a, it's a name. So it's muscle mindset. It's just automatic. You can read the game, catch the ball, do whatever. It's, it's, it's training, it's programming. So you've got survival mode or you've got training and programming. And our role is to get them to the point where they can actually make the right decision in any environment, in any situation, but you have to train them. So our scenario training went from fighting stuff to how do we not yell at the kids when we're doing the dishes and someone's asking you 20 questions. You have to be trained in those circumstances. So instead of throwing all the commas on the box and all the rest of it, say, hey, lad, every other boxer that's that's fallen off the wagon has been a night out on the piss and it's been a fight that's put them in jail. So let's reverse engineer that. Let's choose the pub that we will go to. We know there's not allowed to be any fights. You know, We'll take a ticket and we'll meet at the gym tomorrow and we'll jump in the ring and do it properly. Or we don't go out and we don't get on the piss because I'm not risking a boxing career because it's always going to happen. So or we put them in those situations. Let's let's run scenario training. Okay, here's four lads walking out going, oh, why are you wearing that T-shirt for once they have a fight? You know, he said, well, I don't choose my clothes, mate. My missus does. You know, learn some other skills. But put yeah. them in the situations that you know they're going to walk into and train in there. So the next progression for Andy's men's group is like you have all these talking, all the rest of it. And then it's going to go into that training and, and options and everything else and, and those solutions, paths and opportunities and stuff. Now you've got a whole tribe moving together. So all of a sudden you've got those guys from the cave sitting around the campfire sharing how they use the spear and how to do this sort of stuff, going out all practicing together, and then they go and do it. That's that's the process that affects change. And that can take a long time. I was a community cop 18 years ago, and I'm dealing with the same families from when I was away and now I'm back. And it's just the, it's just the first name that's changed. But if you give them hope, and you know these guys, Luke, the worst these guys are, when you get that connection with them, they are the most loyal group of human beings you will ever deal with. Yep. They, they, they will literally lay their life down for you because you were there for them when no one else was. Have you subscribed to the Connected Leadership Podcast yet to make sure that you never miss an episode? For more resources from Andy, including a regular tips newsletter, videos, blogs, and more podcasts, please visit andylapata.com forward slash insights. I, I just read a, a book that sums up exactly what you both said. Um, Troy Deeney, uh, former premiership footballer, exactly the scenario you laid out, Luke, and exactly the response that you laid out, Dion. Um, so Troy Deeney was brought up by um, his stepfather, who was a gangster in Birmingham, biggest council estate in Europe, Um and uh, he forged a football career. He, you know, he, he said that, you know, and his father beat his mum. He, he beat him on one occasion. Um, he still loved him, still loves him. Um, uh, but, he, you know, his father brought him up to love sport and he got him into football and he ended up playing in the Premier League. But when he's about 23 years old, I think he got into a fight, flashed a few seconds outside a nightclub, kicked a guy in the head, ended up, um, in jail for 10 months or sentenced to 10 months I think he spent about five months in jail and when he came out 
he, he, he was like, well, I'm not drinking with that group. I'm not drinking in those places. And he changed his environment. So a uh, very, very good book, Redemption. Um, uh, and it just sums up a lot of what you've just said. And, and again, it's coming down to environment. Uh, I think that's probably a key word that's underpinning a lot of what we say. I, I do want to. I'm aware we, we we're, we're spending a lot of time on 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 what I saw as the setup, which is fine if you guys have got the time to carry on. Because I think we're getting into a really interesting and very powerful uh, uh, conversation. I, I do want to bring this into a work environment uh, as well, um, but I think this is really important background. There's a couple of things I want to look at before we do that. Um, picking up on the um, the response to the Sarah Everard case, and Luke, you talked about the the calls for a curfew and the 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 the, the clamour about for change in men generally. It did become about women need change in men as a species. Effectively, that was the narrative um, there. How how did you feel about that? How was your response? And, and do you see uh, a gap between how uh, women see men now in the wake of that um, and where men are in, in your experience and perception, Luke? I, 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 did, I, didn't, I wouldn't say struggled a bit. I didn't pay that much uh, you know, emotion. But I, I thought the idea of curfewing all men over the act of one man you know, out of what we fifty-two percent population of men in our country, so thirty million men, and we're, and we're judging the acts of one guy who happened to be, you know, a man and happened to be a police officer, which has no relevance to to me in the north who would never do that, you know. So, like, to say that men should all be curfewed, it just sort of like makes you all feel like criminals, doesn't it? Like, oh, that we're all doing something wrong, and you know that we're all uh, should be on edge. Where in reality, um. When people say, you know, education and things like that, it, I, I do understand it, but you're talking about a 50-year-old police officer, you know, how would you even get into that? You know, you're talking 32 million people to try and convince that that's wrong. You're always going to have blips in the system, aren't you? You're always going to have blips in uh, where there is going to be people who, who slip the, the net and, and go and do horrendous things. Um, it were only, you know, a thousand years ago that we'd all been running around with swords, uh, taking over clans, uh, you know, even less than that, you know, less than a thousand years ago. Um, so we've come a long way and society's obviously a lot better. We've still got a long way to go. I just feel like, I just never liked the idea of, of shoeboxing everyone. I just feel like it's so easy now to make a sweeping comment that, you know, um, it, it just happens all the time. And, and you've alluded to social media a bit and it does, doesn't it? And you see it, it's a real micro environment on there, uh, microscopic environment where you just see it that people instantly, just throw a net over it and it's just that you know any white man that's bald is a racist footballer you know like a uh, football fan <laughs> like it's just, it's just a quick to thing and i used to think that you know i started uh by the message that, that being a, a white man growing up in europe is obviously uh technically a privilege in it like it's a privilege but it's becoming a bit of a curse as well in it you know uh because it, it, well you'll know and it is in it it's just like becoming that actually if you're we're trying so hard to steer away from being a yeah, white man yeah. in England that it's a bad thing in Europe. Uh, it's becoming actually quite negative to be a white man in yeah. uh, Europe, isn't it? Well, well let, let me come back to that because that is something I want to pick up on. So I'll come back to that in a second. Um, 
it's quite funny when when we sort of put this this episode together um i did keep asking myself should i have a woman on the call as well um and i'm, I'm sure there are women listening to this thinking i want to i want to answer this i want to answer this so i i need to play devil's advocate a little bit in terms of of your response um and and hopefully i i i i, I do it justice um but what I picked up from um, the response um, to the Sarah Everard murder and the, the, the clamour against men generally is the day-to-day -day experiences of women are way beyond what I expected. It's the same when I talk to black people about their experience of racism. There's stuff going on that I had no idea about until I had that conversation. And I've been shocked, you know, so, uh, you know someone with two... Um, nieces in their 20s um a, a lot of um uh daughters of friends that i've grown up loving and uh, you know they're now adults as well um to hear what they're subjected to on, on a regular basis is quite unsettling for me so i do think that there is a, a merit in what you say that there can be a uh um it can feel like a response to the actions of one man, but we also have to listen to the lived experience of women who are saying, well, actually, you know, it's endemic of a culture that allows it. Uh, and I, maybe I'll come to Dion on that in a second. Um, but let me throw into that as well um, this backlash against perceived male privilege, because my concern with that is it's leading to what we're seeing it around the world. But, you, you know, if you look at America with the school shootings that are predominantly coming from younger white men not 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 wholly the most recent one was a hispanic man uh, or a hispanic boy for example but predominantly it appears to me to be young white men the incel movement which is closely linked uh, particularly in the u.s um maga you could argue uh, make america great again um there's a lot of that white supremacist uh, backlash coming so I, I'm wondering how that's playing out as well so I hope I'm not overloading that um, uh, Dion but let, let's try and uh, address those two issues one is uh, is there an overreaction that is is creating a backlash against perceived white male privilege that's unfair on many white men that's leading to a, a, a backlash back in turn um, and where do we need to go from here yeah, no, you can overload as much as you want, mate, because that's the answer. The answer is we're, we're, we're putting everything in a box and, and doing this massive overload of anything. As soon as one thing pops up, we're, I said this on Andrea's podcast, we're like cats following a laser beam, you know, like that laser dot. Like as soon as there's a thing, oh, everyone goes over there and everyone loads their own personal agenda on whatever the, the dot happens to be at the time. And so it could be males today, it could be black people tomorrow, it could be white cops the next, it doesn't matter. The humanity at the point now has been conditioned to follow whatever the laser dot is. So when we overload all of that, I go into my police investigative mindset and, and drill down and drill down and drill down, same as we do as corporate consultants, Andy. They say, oh, we got this toxic masculinity culture. Okay, cool. Where? Who, who's giving us the information? And when you drill all the way down, you could have one section in the police force in an area that is that bunch of flipping idiots. I've been, I've been a cop for seven years. And all, we had five sections on duty, all on rosters. Our section had a very, very clear reputation. We were the hunting section. We were out there hunting. And if you if you are big and bad and violent and all the rest of it, you're going to come up against section five and we'll be looking for you. Another section was just so much better than us at investigating crime and drilling down. One of the other sections was, was better at all the 
the community feel-good stuff, and one of the sections was just flipping lazy and full of all the dregs. And so culture is the shadow of leadership. So as soon as someone says culture to me, it's like, show me where first, and let's drill all the way down. You could have two counties. I still remember UK stuff. You can have two <laughs> counties right next to each other. One county would be absolutely phenomenal. The other one's crap. And you look at who's in it. And if we drill down enough, you might say 100% you are correct that in this county and this police force and this county and that commissioner, shockingly abusive bullies, this, that, and the other for sure. Doesn't mean the county next door and the whole country is going that way. So I like it when people blanket stuff and that because then you get to drill down and slice it all up and then deal with it. Because as soon as you actually find out what the core problem is, then you can deal with the problem. The core problem I see with humanity at the moment is no one's happy because no one's got freedom and everyone's trying to control them. So everyone's trying to use the same mechanism to get their agenda across the line. I could come in here as the founder of Protecting Women Global and go, no one is taking this seriously. And if it saves one woman from getting raped, then we should curfew every man. Isn't that a good thing? Isn't it, isn't it better to not have one woman raped and murdered and, and, and a whole bunch of men can't go out because what are they going to do? They're just going to go watch the sport and get drunk anyway. I mean, anyone could argue any of these points. So the answer to overload is to, let's drill it down. Let's get the done. Let's drill all the way down. Same as we do in, you might have a bully. And then when you say culture, look at the leadership, but look at the real culture. When I'm in Asia, Asian women don't have power. That's cultural. When I'm the regional operations manager for Asia Pacific out of Singapore, expats, angmos, have more power than Asians. And Asian women do not have power over Asian men. Marital rape is still legal in Singapore. Suicide is illegal in Malaysia. So where are you going to go and get help? Marital rape in Malaysia, still legal. And a lot of the Asian cultures, still legal. So you're not going to have a Me Too movement out of Indonesia. Because someone will turn up at your village, set you on fire, and cut your head off. So... When we say global, where where are we talking? We're talking the UK, whereabouts in the UK? What towns, what cities, what county? When you start drilling this down and dissecting it, people have to provide the evidence, then absolutely let's get in there and sort it out. And I'm gonna drop Helen Clark's name, former Prime Minister of New Zealand, former UN you know, deputy and all the rest of it. I know Helen very well, and we talked about this. It was a, a woman's uh, empowerment thing for the International Chamber of Commerce in Singapore. And I was one of three men in the room. And so as the founder of Protected Woman, I asked Helen, it was about quotas. I said, Helen, do you really get the most competent people if you have to have 50% female and 50% male? And she says, no, no, you don't get the most competent. But unless I set the quota first, then we can backfill and do that stuff. You've got to set the standard first. Like she's one of the greatest leaders I've ever followed. Irrelevant, she's a male or a female, but she broke more women's ceilings and had more influence as a powerful female than anyone else. So when I ask ask and answer these questions, I'm thinking, what would Helen Clark say? What would my wife say? What My wife is one of the strongest women you'll ever come across. And then when we look at New Zealand culture, in Maori cultural, Pacific Island culture, women are seen as treasures because they have the children. And so Adam and I, the women are at the back. And then everyone else from any other country, why are the women at the back? Why aren't they up the front? Because in Maori culture, when you go to battle, you keep the women and kids at the back because you don't want them to get hurt because they make the babies. You know, my woman's a warrior. She can fight for herself. I don't protect her because she's weak. She's not weak at all. She's strong. I protect her because she's bloody important. And that's that fundamental cultural difference. So with all of these questions that we ask on these podcasts, we've got to be very specific. Drill into the country that we're talking about. Show me the evidence. Show me the evidence. And let's drill it down. Let's deconstruct it. But no one wants to do that because they just want to throw it out. They want to do the big, you know, Greta Thunberg, I'm 13. I know what I'm talking about, rubbish, you know. So I'm all for having these discussions, but let's drill down. Let's get down into it. Let's 
gnaw it down to the bone and find out, no, there's no issue at all. Or, yes, it's a massive issue. Let's get in there and sort it out. But it's too easy to blanket this, like Luke says. It's too easy to put it in a box and blanket it. Um, so what do we do about it? It's leadership. It's always leadership, mate. It rises and falls on leadership. Who's the leader of this environment? Culture is the shadow of leadership. It always comes down to leadership. Every tribe's got a chief. And if the chief might not be the leader, there might be someone else in there that's a little cancerous influencer, as we know, you know in our corporate culture, a lot of bullying, a lot of corporate culture stuff going on. People sleeping with other people. We know where the cancerous groups are. Cut them out. But it's leadership, mate. It always comes back to leadership from your family to your workplace to your men's group to your podcast to your country. Always leadership. I'm going to come back to that leadership point because, you know, I want to bring this all around to the the, the connected leadership theme of, of the podcast. Um, before I do, I just want to sit a little bit longer with this um, backlash to to um, the response to men and, and, and where that well, let, let, responsibility let sits. Because it's, it's, a, it's a stupid word. We've got to stop using it, right? Privilege. I mean, privilege. So there's the rise of the ism. All right. So if you're if you can run and you got two legs and you run past someone in a wheelchair, you're showing ableism. You know, like everything's got an ism, so that people that don't have what you have can blame you for you having it and them not having it. Like privilege, like I don't let anyone say I'm privileged. I'm not privileged. I have an advantage over a kid that's born born in Africa. We're not privileged. My flipping parents work their butt off. Don't tell me I'm privileged. Right? I have an advantage where I'm born and, and and I've got power and water. Yeah, sure, I've got an advantage. We all have advantages and disadvantages. We're not flipping privileged. God, that's just a stupid word. I don't let anyone use it. You know, there's, there's white male privilege, you know, um, because there's so much violence against um, African-Americans in, in the US, then every white male is privileged to be male. You're lucky you're not black. Hey, I'm born this way and I live this way. That's not my fault. You can't use that as leverage over me. If you've got an issue in it, again, let's drill down into it. Plenty of counties in that over good. So, so Dion, that response typifies the what I was trying to say is, and there's the argument that I, you know, I, 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 I get behind the a lot of the case of the rise of populism, uh, the the rise of anti-establishment uh, movements, is the a lot of people who don't feel privileged are being dismissed because of white privilege. Uh, and they're getting angry about it. And the, because people are rushing to, uh, as Luke said, paint a whole group, um, uh, tar the whole group with the actions of a few individuals, that group is now rebelling. And it's been years and years and years of doing this. And that's that's, that's a big impact. Um, so I think your response really um, paints that picture very clearly. That That's the response that people are getting. I'll make it clear for you. It's just masters and slaves. That's what the world is struggling with right now. What freedoms do we have financially, personally, culturally? Well, there is, is, who's the master? Who's the slave? What control do I have over my life? As soon as something can influence control over my life, we, we demonize them and we attack them. And yeah, there's been people that have been kept slaves for a long time. Look at New Zealand, invaded by, by England. You know, all this in, intergenerational trauma and all the rest of it is now coming up. And now the Maori population that's getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger is now trying to exert influence um, through through government saying we need Maori rights for this and then we, we, we're having all this going quite entitled to because you got invaded by another country right so we're going to have that whole master-slave thing going on but here's how you test it would you like to know how to test it go on say no 
The moment you say no and remove your consent in a conversation and whatever you're doing, the moment someone pushes past that, they're an immediate hypocrite. Dion, you can't do this and we want you to do this and the line of can we want you to do this, and I just go, no. What do you mean, no? You need something here for LGBTQT communities. I'm like, no. Because I, I, I work with all people. If you're a human being, then you're welcome here. Oh, you need to have this label. No. You need to refer to me as him, her, or that. I'm like, no, I'm not. You want your own pronoun? Let's take on, Luke. Saying, Dion, that's an interesting one, that, because it reminded me of what Andy's mum, Elaine, said to her, my mother-in-law. We uh, we got asked whether we'd do an Andy's Man Club t-shirt. We're, we're black and the, and it's uh, white writing because it's the light in people's dark times. And one of the guys brought up, well, why don't we do an LGBT special one? And she said something that I've never really thought of like this before. Just what you'd said then, it just, just what to add to it. She says, if the whole movement around LGBT is inclusive, why make something different? to make people feel inclusive. Why not keep it the same and just say it's also for you? And I thought, wow, that's, why change the color of your top? You know, McDonald's changing the golden arches to, you know, the rainbow color. Don't make, you know, anyone in the LGBT community feel any more part of McDonald's than they do if it still stays golden arches, but say, actually, culturally, you're accepted. Culturally, you don't get judged, you know, no matter what, how you talk, dress, who you're holding hands with, you know, who you're making love to, or not, you're, private time in our organization you know that's the one for me and i feel like inclusivity don't need to be an awareness day don't need to be a tick in the box uh, presentation or talk actually it's just what you're doing each day in it and how you judge people and or don't judge them yeah, but, but i'm pretty sure that if 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 an lgbt community came to you and said look luke i love what you're doing andy speaker thing we would like to set up this for us because we've got something specific to our community that's causing the same pain. Could you come and help us with that? You'd be like, absolutely. And then if they said, listen, would you object if we did this, this and this? We want to put our one as as rainbow one because it's, it's for our tribe, but we just want to acknowledge that. So you'd be like, cool, because it's about consent. The moment you say no and rape and touching and talking and you're, the moment you say no, you're establishing your boundary. You're removing your consent. The moment someone pushes past your consent, they break every one of those rules. So where where do you have the ability to say no? If you can't say no in a conversation, a situation or an environment, then you know you have an issue. So Dion, if, we, if I can turn that on its head a little bit, and let's say the person who's saying no is the person who wants to maintain what you might perceive as the negative culture, the 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 the, the toxic culture in terms of the the the, the conversation we're having. Um, would you argue then that it's about the education of that person rather than the the, the master servant master slave relationship? No, because because now we've got narcissists. So let, let's just say I own the line academy, right? It's my business. I make all the decisions in the line academy. I can do whatever I like so long as it's legal and that the team decides if it's moral or if it's ethical as a community. But if I'm legally allowed to say, I only want to run programs for men. Like the Line Academy is only going to run programs for men. That's all I want. To, I don't want to deal with women. I don't want to deal with LGBT. I just want to deal with straight, heterosexual, white males. That's what the Line Academy says. That's what I'm going to do. I'm more entitled to do it. And if someone says, you should be, you can't tell me what to do. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a divine being. I have my own choice. Now, if what I'm doing for that is discriminating against and just being excluded because I don't like you and I don't want to have anything to do with you is not discriminating against you. I remember, and I'll probably get in trouble for this, but you know I'm not shy. 
So I hire and I fire as a regional operations manager and all the rest of it. And I've had every card thrown at me. I've had the gay card thrown at me. I've had the, I've had the um, racist card thrown. I've had every card thrown at me to get an excuse to why I'm disciplining someone. So I'm not disciplining you because you're gay. If you want me to make you feel better with how you want me to address you, I'm disciplining because you are a lazy gay person. And I'm not discriminating against you because you're Asian. I am disciplining you because you are an obnoxious, bullying Asian that the team just can't stand. And you're affecting our engagement, productivity and revenue. So I'll use your pronoun if you want me to, but don't remove my right to do what's legally able to do. As long as you're not discriminating against anyone else and excluding people that you don't want to deal with. How is that discrimination? That's my choice. I'm saying, no, I don't want to... And this is what's happening with the Me Too movement, right? So the men that are that toxic, and you've got to get rid of them, all right? So if I'm in an environment where my people are and you've got that toxic person, then you have the discussion and say, hey, man, that's not our culture. If not, get rid of them. Okay, that's cool. Really, really hard when they're the president of a country with all their loyal people around them and, and causing wars, right? And so that's when you need the guys to step in. But when we get to these points here, where does the consent stop for human beings to do whatever they want to do in their life so long as they're not harming anybody else? And that's the bit I'm seeing squeezed. It's about consent. It's that as long as they're not harming anybody else that I think is the most important part of that and, and qualifies that. Uh, I'm really aware of your time um, and the time we spent on this. Uh, we have talked uh, bits about the leadership role. I said I'd come back to it. So let's finish on that. Let's bring this into an organisation. You're, you're a leader of a team. You're a leader of an organisation. Um, and, and you want to create the right culture and you want to bring everyone along with you. You want to create a culture where everyone feels safe, everyone feels heard, and everyone using your term, Dion, has consent to what's going on. Um, Luke, let's start with you. How would you... What are the key things you need to have in place? I mean, it, surely with the the people that are coming to Andy's Man Club, you have to you've had to create that culture there. You've you've had to create the environment where people feel safe opening up and sharing, where people feel safe that they're not going to be judged. So I think that's probably a really good illustration of something that's very transferable into a, a, a corporate or organisational environment. How do you set that culture and how do you maintain it? Yeah, I guess Andy's Man Club's uh, tiered, but if we start right at the the echelon to what we do, which is talking groups of men, I guess the the epitome of a leader would is being vulnerable, right? You know, being vulnerable yourself. So when that first ball got passed round and the vulnerability started, and if you think about what vulnerability is, it's it's doing uh, what you know, whether it's right or wrong, but when you're doing something, uh, an action, and you don't know the outcome, that's like asking someone out on a date, going for a job interview, starting a business, Vulnerability, right? And at one point that had been seen, the word vulnerable is tagged to weakness, isn't it? We're actually, it's strength, isn't it? It's strength going and taking on a bigger lion or, you know, however, however you want to say. So starting that conversation that day were, were difficult, you know, that first ever session. But then what it did was when that first conversation happened, it allowed the next man, because it didn't run like it runs now, it, the ball got passed to another man who then opened up and offloaded himself. And then another man, it was like, shit, everyone's doing this now. It's actually quite normal. Where, you know, I'm like him. He's broke up with his partner and doing that deal. This is what I did. So I'm going to give him a bit of advice. And then it started like that. And then it obviously we've got progressing to some system. Otherwise, you just got same 20 guys all telling a story every week and it gets a bit boring. So actually, it needs to become relevant. It needs to become about hope. So actually, we have like a shit sandwich where you start talking about positives. So, like, you know, what's a goal you've got between now and next week? Not just about 
the, the negatives. So we'll always find out what's gone on last week, positive, negative. Then we always have a good positive. Tell us one positive from your week. And for a guy who's suicidal, who's come to that group and he's dead sick, going to take his life if that group didn't work for him. It's quite hard for him to find a positive. But that's what we're engulfing in that culture. We're really ingrained in that it's always going to be, you're always, you've got to find a positive. And if you don't, the tribe will. You're positive, is it? You come, you've come here and try finding a solution for yourself. Everyone will give him a clap. Now he's like, shit, no one's clapped for me in years. Like, wow, must be doing something. And then what we have is, is we have group culture, which is driven by the facilitator. The facilitator is a user of the group. Right, so actually, he's a guy who's used the group. We're maybe going to take his life not long ago. Now he's become a leader of that group. Above a facilitator, and I don't like using the word above. I know in any organisation you've sort of got to have some sort of hierarchy, but we don't really have that in essence. But we have what we call a project development champion again, who's been a guy who used the group, but now he's employed by the charity. So he's now employed, and in his job is to oversee twenty, thirty groups. And then we have his office team, and, and weirdly, what. Um, so I made general manager, I made a lady general manager of our organisation. She's the mother of the organisation. She, you know, oversees all these men and, and leads them from behind. So you'll never really see her on the videos or all that, but she's leading and, and mothering and nurturing this organisation. But, but one thing I have at, the, at this level, because obviously I'm a trustee, I don't get paid by charity. Uh, you know, I'm a trustee, I don't ever want to get paid for it. It's not my job, it's not my line of work. It means too much to me. But what I often do as chair or as voluntary CEOs is I constantly bring everything back to, even when I'm sitting with my trustees or, you know, and someone comes up with a big idea, it's always back to, does it fit within why we're doing what we do? What's our why? Our why is that one man. So when you break down what that one man is or that one family is, is what does that mean? It means about creating environments for guys, whatever that one man's background is, where he feels... No judgment. He can, you know, he doesn't have to feel like he's burdening that group. He doesn't have to feel weak. He doesn't have to feel embarrassed. So that's it. So I believe in transparency. That's my biggest thing, transparency. Um, so, for example, uh, I hate typical corporate bitchiness. I hate, I hate people talking about people's backs. If I've got something going on, I always like to have it out. And, and once in office, um, it was really poor. It happened, but frustrations happened we had a lady in the office uh and for whatever reason some of the guys just didn't like her and that's personality clashes happens in any organization but they chose to speak about it behind the back which i don't like if you have a problem with someone tell them tell them you know i don't really like how you're addressing me at a minute you know where you're talking to me like i feel like you're just talking down at me or whatever but they chose to do it and, and she'd left the google chat so and she was still on her Google chat so she had the full conversation um, and it were an accident on her after that she left it on but I was really glad that that happened because it made that team a lot stronger because they all realised quickly that that's not accepted in our organisation so they all got a dressing down and that it's not about dressing down because you've done wrong I'm cool with you not liking someone right that's fine you're going to have personality clashes in any walk to life but what I'm never cool is is that when we're in war together which we all are is that you never stab someone in the back there's enough people going to be coming to shoot us down and try to take us down than in our own trenches. So you make sure that we've always got each other's back, no matter what, when you're in here. I don't bother if you go for a drink at weekend or you want to socialise that. I'm not bothered about that. I'm not trying to create that culture. You'll know, do that if you want to do it. Everyone has friendships in playground, right? But when you're in here together, we didn't walk together. So if you have a problem with someone, knock on the door. Can I have a word with you, please? Yeah. Where did that email, what, why, you know, it seemed a bit snotty. Well, actually, one, it's just I'm really busy. And you know, I sent it here, you know, and the dog died and we've got this going on. And I just want to get it to you. All right, well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, if you need a chat about it, do you want me to put a kettle on? You know, the next minute they're cool. And it's just that I think a lot of time we perceive what someone's saying rather than what they're actually saying. I've my wife all the time. Well, it sounded like you meant this. 
but I didn't. The words he actually said was, bang, bang, bang. That in what it sounded like you were saying. No, no. The actual words was, that, that, that. That in, uh, you know, what you perceived it to be. And I feel like too often we're perceived. So culture for me, I just believe is transparency. Because if you have transparency, communication is going to be good. And I think where a lot of people's frustrations come in organisations is when it's poor communication from the top, as people like to call it. Where if you're straight line and everyone knows exactly what's going on, less anxieties, less worries, and people can just focus on what they're here to do, what they're paid to do, which for us is open more groups and make sure the existing groups are as strong as possible. So it sounds like, if I summarise that, I think it's great stuff because it's so transferable to any team, any organisation, um, led by, 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 by the members, led by the team. It's not dictated down to them, values-led. Uh, really clear values and everything can be measured against them and that transparency uh, yeah, and on, communication. On that, Andy, we had an interesting con- we had a team meeting the other day because just a big change we made to one manager who's, who's been part of this team. So a big change because some of these people have been here four or five years and mm-hmm. someone who's been here a year has just completely excelled. He's a real good leader. They've been made managers. So there were a bit of issues with that. Anyway, when we got talking, we got talking about stuff and someone said, you know, um, about job titles and things like that, because people like titles, don't they? And there's not wrong with that, you know. And I was talking about that titles and money ain't really the basis of our organisation, you know. But the, well, someone made a good point about, you know, feeling appreciated, which is big in any organisation, right? I said, the, 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 where Andy's man comes different, I says, uh, in essence, is, or where a lot of our organisations is, you always want appreciation from the person you perceive to be above you in the chain, right? I said, but in Andy's man club, like, whether I think you're doing a good job or not, is irrelevant. Right, whether I really like you and I want to come and say you're doing a great job, I said when you, which we get hundreds if not thousands every single month, I said when you get an email off a dad saying I've dropped my door off at school today because of your group, I said that's your fucking reward. Sorry for swearing. That's your reward. That's your appreciation because you don't send out those leaflets, you don't send out those posters, you don't go do that presentation, you don't email that guy back, you don't send that thank you card to that funeral, you know, which is tragic from our, you know, you know, someone's funeral and they still want to support us. None of this works. So that's your appreciation. All those thank yous you get, all those people who, you know, say how good you the organisation do, that's because of the job each and every one of you play. That's where your appreciation comes from. You know, I think don't be searching for anything higher because the higher purpose is what the mission is, which is that one man, and you're getting hundreds of emails off that one man's mom, wife, sister, daughter, daily. Each and every time you get that, feel it because that just keeps that mission and that fire and fuel going. Uh, Luke, you, you're 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 singing to the choir here. Um, I talk a lot about the power of thank yous uh, on the podcast, and I think that's a great note on which to finish. Uh, we could carry on for ages, but um, we can't. We can't. <laughs> uh, Luke and Dion, it's been stimulating. It's been interesting, uh, unpredictable, uh, and and hopefully very thought provoking. So thank you both uh, for joining me. That's awesome. Can I just say one thing? I think that's a really important word. Yeah, go for it. Vulnerability can only happen in safety. You you can't take vulnerability to an unsafe environment, and that's just a beautiful thing that you've done, Luke. You've you've created safety for people to be vulnerable. Being vulnerable in unsafe situations gets you hurt, gets you killed. So you've got to create safety for your people. And mate, I'm 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 a new fan. Just sitting here, I'm just sitting here smiling and nodding, mate. Like I'm just, I just like to say, man, what what you're doing is just fantastic, and you're doing everything right. You're doing absolutely Appreciate everything it. right, mate. Your flipping brother, we're wicked proud of you, dude. Really That's appreciate brilliant. that. 
I think we've got a new, a new connection made today, definitely on the Connected Leadership Podcast. And you guys, I'm sure, will be staying in touch, which is great. Thank you both for joining me. Really appreciate it. So thank you so much to, to Luke and Dion. Um, I didn't know where that was going at times, um, but I loved it. It was uh, longer than our normal podcast, but I, just listening through, uh, I, I'm sure you'll see why and understand why. And hey, you might not uh, uh, have agreed with everything that was discussed. You might not have appreciated everything that was discussed because these are two very specific opinions. As I said, I did think when I put this together about bringing uh, a woman into the conversation, for example, but I felt that three guests might be a bit too much. I wanted both Luke and Dion to discuss this topic because I know the value they bring. I know the insights they bring and, and hopefully they've challenged, they've provoked um, and they've got you to, to, to think about this, this topic and how you can um, both both use that in, in your everyday relationships and also in your professional relationships as well. Let me know what you think. Um, keep the discussion going. I'll be posting clips on social media. Um, please engage with those. Uh, we've got some more great episodes uh, coming up for you now that we're back uh, with, with live interviews. Um, so uh, make sure you've subscribed, make sure you share it and join us again very soon on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.